What's up, Kyle? It's Andrew here, Santa Clara Valley Med. Just checking in. Just wanted to uh, reach out and thank everybody for hanging tight and respecting this uh, shelter in place and uh, reminding people that uh, everybody's working hard here on the front line and we totally appreciate uh, people, you know, sticking it sticking at home in their neighborhoods and I know it's not it's hard not being able to head out on the beach or in the water but it's helping us on the front line to really be able to take care of these sick sick people and not have high flows of people in that aren't needed emergency care right now so anyways thanks for all you're doing and uh yeah stay strong everybody we will get through this all right take care Kyle, what's up? Simon Rex here, buddy. I only said my last name because then nobody will know or care who Simon is. Driving through Joshua Tree, I'm Quentin Quarantino. Got my gloves on and my face mask on. Don't know what to believe. Don't know. Um, I, everyone's going crazy. Conspiracy theorists think they got the answers. I don't trust the news. I don't trust anyone, but I'm wearing my gloves and my mask just in case. Just in case, I want to go visit my mom and I don't want to kill her. Anyway, bud, miss you. Hope you're well. Thank you for sending that voice memo in, Andrew. I know that Santa Clara Valley is getting hit harder than most spots, and we all really appreciate the work that you're doing. You are a hero. And thank you, Simon. Great to hear from you, man. I'm glad that you are wearing gloves and a face mask because killing mothers is not a good look. And I hope that this downtime is giving way to many creative rap songs, which I am sure it is. I was hesitant to play Simon's uh, intro there because uh, I now have probably two of the most famous people I know in one podcast, which inevitably makes me look like a uh, floundering wannabe. But then I thought, eh, it's actually kind of perfect because... I do spend a lot of my time in L.A., and uh, I think that there's a point to be made about fame, um, which is, this isn't an original thought, but I heard this once, fame doesn't corrupt, fame reveals. And both Simon and Brian um, have revealed themselves to be really cool dudes um amidst being quite famous also and i think that the reason for that is because they have maintained a muscle of curiosity i did a podcast with simon back in episode number 127 um and i really enjoyed it but we talked a lot about how much curiosity can be an antidote to suffering and insanity that um that fame can create so maybe that point made sense maybe it didn't but this episode of the podcast is brought to you by santa cruz medicinals santa cruz medicinals has been with us since the beginning their founder brendan encouraged me to start this podcast four years ago 
And uh, I use their products every night. I use their CBD tincture before I go to sleep. It helps me uh, get more into deep sleep. Um, and they also have deep sleep caps, if that is your jam. 1,500 milligram deep sleep caps that you can get at scmedicinals.com. And you can type in the code name KYLE10 to get 10% off all CBD products. So go to scmedicinals.com, peruse at will, and type in the code name KYLE10. And uh, if you want to get some CBD in your life, Santa Cruz Medicinals is a good place. If you want to send me a voice memo to play on the podcast, you can record it on the Voice Memos app on your phone. Just let me know who you are, where you're listening from, some things you're thinking about in quarantine, some details about your life, and email it to info at kyle.surf. My guest today is an actor, stand-up comedian, and podcast host. Brian Callen is the co-host of the Fighter and the Kid podcast, which I will link to below. It's a very fun podcast. I listen to it often. He plays Coach Meller on the TV show Schooled, and his new stand-up special, Complicated Apes, is out now on Amazon Prime. Please welcome to the show, Brian Callen. I don't like seeing how I don't like seeing how youthful you are compared to me. It bothers me. I'm getting well. Worried. I have a lot of good light. Uh, I've made this home studio impeccable and make sure I get a little natural light. Uh, Very symmetrical face. Congratulations. That'd I've been be working great. on that. I have a Jawser size. Do you have one of those? No, but I need one. What the hell is a Jawser size? Yeah, it uh, helps strengthen the jawline. Uh, it, it you know uh, imitates our ancestors eating meat. All right, I'll try that. Try to inevitably stop the decay, the inevitable decay of the body. I had a very uh, Brian Callen-esque story the other day that um, I figured I'd start this off with. I thought of you many times. Um, I'm in quarantine here in Santa Cruz, California, and I have housemates who I'm here with. And we decided to take a canoe out to the ocean one day. It was a flat day, nice, bright, sunny day. And my housemate has a girlfriend we were out in a canoe past the waves and I wanted to go spearfishing. So I jumped off the canoe and started diving down and on my fourth or fifth drop, um, noticed that they were banging on the canoe. And this is like a hundred yards outside of the surfers. So they're not super far away. The surfers can see them and I'm diving down trying to spear fish. And every time I come up, they're in a new position and 10 minutes into my dive, as I'm looking at them banging, I dive down and a fucking six foot great white shark swims by me. <laughs> Woo! And I come up and I see them banging and I swim down again and see the shark again. And I just thought, this yeah. is a moment that Brian Callen would live for. I would. My only disappointment that it's six foot. The difference between you and I is I would tell the story and the shark would be 16 feet. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's uh, it has room to grow. Yeah, it, it wasn't as scary as I thought it would be, actually. Because they uh, move slowly. Yeah, they say that when you can see a shark, they're, you're less likely to get attacked. Yeah, it's so the 21-footer that catches you from behind in the midsection. You know what I mean? You find yourself being propelled through the water, and you're like, why am I being propelled through the water? 
Why don't I feel anything from from my neck down? Oh yeah, I'm in the jaws of a giant fish who thinks I'm yeah, a there's seal. A, a wait what moment as you're dying. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be I'd rather go by by shark than crocodile. I, crocodiles are the most terrifying things to me. Those giant reptiles, those dragons that grab you and just twist and take you down. At least a shark is just a great white just bites you and just hmm. Yeah, you're done with the great white. Yeah, it seems like it would be a longer process of death with a an alligator. Have you ever seen a, an alligator in real life? I have. I've also seen you crocodiles have. in real life, giant crocodiles in Costa Rica. So I don't know. I um, yeah, I don't want to go that way. I don't want to go by biting and by fire. Thank mm. you. Like How do you want to go? You know, I mean, the traditional way in my sleep on stage. Who knows? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, yeah. I was thinking about what I want. I was thinking about what I want written on my tombstone. You know? And I think, um, I think at the end of the day, it, I, 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 maybe something like a limited creature who did his best to give more than he took and probably failed at that too. <laughs> I mean, that's as best as I can give myself. You know what Charles Bukowski had written on his gravestone? No. Don't try. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's pretty that's pretty that's a cone. That's a pretty interesting Zen statement. That's two words. It says a lot. You know, because there's that Chinese um, Wei Wu. I think it's called. It's like sort of trying without trying kind of idea. Yes. Whenever you're trying to look cool, you don't. Whenever you're trying to pick somebody up, you're not. You know, it's all that stuff. I don't know. It's always yeah. It's always difficult. So, Mr. Callan, I've been uh, thinking about this interview for quite some time, and um, I've been ha I've been struggling figuring out where I want to take this conversation because there are a lot of different aspects to you that I can hit, and I wasn't sure which one I wanted to hit. But as I was uh, thinking about it, down there with a the shark, reflecting on our interview, uh, I thought one aspect of you that is not particularly um, pronounced and people don't give you a lot of credit for is the journalistic aspect of you. Hmm. Um, because you're a comedian, you're an actor, you have your podcast, but a lot of what you're doing is out there asking questions as a journalist. People just don't give you that title. Hmm. Um, so I wanted to ask you, if you were a journalist in this time of the pandemic and you had the resources to go after some kind of investigative story right now for three to six months and you had all the resources to do it, what angle would you take on this pandemic and what story would you want to tell? Well, I, you know, the one of the things that, that I think about is how wrong I've been for most of my life. I've been so much wrong. I've been wrong far more than I've been right. That's a humbling conclusion. I was watching the um, Ken Burns documentary on Vietnam and I was watching the hippies, the hippies, quote unquote, the long haired flower children protest the Vietnam War. And then I was looking at the people that were for the war. They were for America and they were waving American flags and they were patriots, quote unquote. I would have probably back then been erring on the side of those people waving their flags because I would have been defending my father. I would have been defending these um, 
things like the American way, the sacred flag, and all those things. Because for whatever reason, I've internalized the idea that people with long hair with flowers in their hands and sandals are wrong, communists, socialists, are weak, are um, emotional, and all that stuff. Well, the truth is, I would have been wrong back then. And they were right. And they were brave. All those hippies who are out there protesting this war to stop communism, you know, this, I would have bought into the idea of, um, you know, you, you, the domino effect that was sold to me by my government. And I would have assumed that the government was telling me the truth because a lot of those people look like my father. And so um, that, that was, that's at 53 years old, I've come to that conclusion. That's humbling to think how limited I am in my uh, ability to tell the difference between right and wrong and, and truth and fiction. So, you, you know, with that in mind, I think what I would do as a, as a journalist is I would do the best I could to try to not draw conclusions, the best I could to take my emotions, my, my inherent prejudice, and I have a lot of it, my inherent bias out of the equation. I would probably fail. I would probably fail. But I would do my best because what I'd be interested in is how these things take on momentum, how these ideas, let's shut down the entire economy, for example. We have this new flu. We don't know anything about it. The data is sketchy. Uh, some of it is saying we could have a 5%, 10% mortality rate in the beginning. Oh, my God. Our hospitals will be overrun. How does that happen? How does that, how does the misreading of data and the misinterpretation of data and phenomenon cause panic and snowball effects that may not be so helpful? That's kind of what happens in when we, when we make the decision to invade something like Iraq. Afghanistan is a little bit different story, but certainly not to stay in Afghanistan. How do these things happen? How do these, how do these, and, and, and more importantly, how would I make that digestible to people who don't have time to think too deeply about these things? We're just all too busy. The minute I mentioned that the biggest threat to our democracy is campaign finance, oh my God, people just go, I don't have time, dude. That sounds complicated. I do it too. It's like, you know, there are certain words that, that turn me off. So how do I make it user-friendly? As, as a journalist, I would try to make, without clickbait, without coming up with this sensationalist, the, the problem with being a journalist is, man, you've got to come up with, even algorithms do it, you've got to come up with um, words that get our attention. Death, explosion, uh, recession, uh, disaster. And I don't think those are helpful. But I'm naive. I'm not a journalist. I appreciate you thinking of me that way, but I'm not. And that's a hard job. You know, I was very critical of Mayor Garcetti's uh, decision to, you know, encourage Angelinos to snitch on their neighbors. I know, I know that being a mayor is a difficult job. And there's a, lot, there's a lot to take into account. And he won a second term probably because he's done, in many ways, a good job. I don't know enough. But boy, did I have a visceral reaction to that. 
I don't like that. I don't like the idea. We're already, we're already told to wear masks and stand six feet apart. I don't like a politician encouraging us to then snitch on our neighbors. I don't care what the context is. You know, businesses that aren't complying. I understand why. But I'm, I'm very wary of that. And my reaction is, I go right back to 1940s Germany and 1950s China and all these things. And I probably shouldn't, or I should. But I, I think that there has to be, uh, <clears throat> I, that, that would be something that I would be, um, this reaction, how helpful, how creative is the, are these reactions? Are we being creative in our thought process? And should we be forgiving of people like Gavin Newsom and Garcetti who are in a very difficult position? I mean, probably. Would I do the same? I, I don't know. I've never been. As a journalist, would there be places that you would want to go particularly and embed yourself to get that kind of story? Well, you know, that's so crucial. That's so goddamn crucial. You know, it's it, there's such a difference between criticizing, let's take the Muslim world, for example. What a difference between doing a Pew, a Pew Research poll and calling Muslims and asking them about their views on things and then concluding that they're all extremists versus living there, living in Mecca, living in Saudi, in Riyadh, living in... Lebanon, living in Syria, I think you would have a different point of view. It is not an accident that people who spend a lot of time looking at big numbers come to a different conclusion than people that actually live there. You're going to get a different point of view from Laura Ingram, who's never really spent any time in the Middle East, than some British journalist from the BBC who lives in Syria. You're going to get a different point of view. You just are. You just are. And I would I would uh, resist the I would resist as a journalist being in a position where I was beholden to ratings. I know what I'm going to get when I listen to Sean Hannity and uh, versus, uh, you know, Jim Acosta. I know what I'm going to get they They are both probably sincere people trying to do their best. But they are also beholden to their audience. It's not easy for them. Um, Jim Acosta might be the wrong example, but Don Lemon, for example. Yeah. Since I have a history of recommending books to you, yeah. um, the latest one that I'll recommend is Hate Inc. by Matt Taibbi. Oh, okay. Why Today's Media Makes Us Despise One Another. He does such a good job I like depicting Taibbi. the two sides. Oh, he's so good. Yeah. He just left Rolling Stone to do independent journalism full-time on a subscriber-based model. Good for yeah. Matt Taibbi, and we need more of that. God bless Matt Taibbi for that. Um, yeah, I've read a lot of his stuff. Some of it I, I think is a little bit much, and some of it is pretty pretty damn good, but he's important. He's important. I, I love I love your book recommendations. I love Sam Harris's uh, recommendation. I love that book, Spirituality Without Religion, and, and got me into meditation, so thank you. And uh, Waking up. Yeah, and I need, I'm really I need happy. More of that. That's so great. I told you this is one of the best books I've ever read. It got me to sign up for a week long silent meditation retreat. It's completely revolutionized my life. Yeah, I downloaded the app. I, you know, I'm, I've become pretty good friends with Eric Weinstein, who is one of Sam's friends, and 
I have my criticism of Sam, but you know, Sam would be an example of a guy I think has adds a lot of value, but Sam's, and, and, and he tries to be very honest and very fair to the Middle East. And I appreciate that. But again, I think Sam would have a different point of view if he lived in the Middle East, has had been in the Middle East and spent time, more time around the average Arab than, than he, he just doesn't have that luxury. He just doesn't. So that would be an example of a very smart man who might have a, different point of view. But I, I love this book and I love what it, how he makes meditation accessible. You mentioned Lawrence Lessig, who is one of my heroes and who he had as a presenter this last year at the Motherfucker Awards. Um, he presented the Lifetime Achievement Award to Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell for fucking our campaign system. And um, when I learned a few of those stats that, that Lawrence talks about, that uh, politicians can spend between thirty and seventy percent of their time in office fundraising. Well, in fact, they're they're not in their office; they're across the street because they can't fundraise from from government grounds. So they they're in the car with their cell phone and a list of donors to call, and that's a, that's true. That's what our representatives do. You 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 have to you you are given your fundraiser will give you a list of people to call who are going to give you money. If you don't call those people and if you don't support their positions, you're not getting reelected. <clears throat> yeah. What have you found to be the most helpful way to talk about this issue? Um, Taibi and, and Lawrence Lessig are two people I probably spend more time listening to than anyone else. And one thing I like so much about Taibi is that he takes a seemingly boring issue that has massive ramifications over our lives, and he brings color into it. You, for a living, take issues and make them funny and bring color and vibrance to them. Has there been a way that you've talked about campaign finance reform that you've found really resonates with people? No. No, unfortunately, I haven't. Uh, with Complicated Apes, my last special, I, I, I did my best to try to... The argument was don't turn people into nouns, turn people into verbs. You know, you call people Muslim, uh, you call them an immigrant, you call them a black, white, straight, gay, Republican, Democrat. It doesn't do much service to the person in front of you because nobody is one thing at any given time. We're not fixed objects. We are always changing. At least I am. Sinners, saints, everything in between. Thank God. Um, you know, um, when it comes to campaign finance reform or any of these things, when it comes to Matt Taibbi, when it comes to Lawrence Lessig and things, it is actually important, and none of us do enough of this, to look at and study and even sympathize with the other side. Let me give you an example. I can't remember who it was, but it might have been John Truby in his amazing book. Um, and I may not, may not have been, but he wrote an amazing book called On Story. And um, I think it's called, is it called On Story? No, The Anatomy of Story. And he talks, uh, he makes the argument, and I, I think it's John, but he makes the, the argument that The Grapes of Wrath was not a great novel, it was a good novel. Well, I say, wait a minute, what are you talking about? And he says, well, The Grapes of Wrath does an amazing job of causing you to sympathize with the migrant worker, with the Dust Bowl, the dust bowl farmer, the, the person who had to get up and move and then work in the orange groves and, and they were starving and everything else. And the people, the cause of that were the rich Orange Grove owners with the industrialists and all that. What the Grapes of Wrath and John Steinbeck didn't do a very good job of, and didn't do a job of, at all, was giving you their point of view, was giving you the point of view of an Orange Grove owner who's responsible to his own profits and, and, and debts and 
And how do you run a profitable business in a time when you have that massive migration shift and movement and and people who are desperate showing up on your front door for work? How do you do that? I don't know. I would imagine John Steinbeck doesn't know either. But you have to take into account their side and great stories and great novels. Present both sides. Every great movie, the bad guy has a... The bad guy always has a speech where he gives you his point of view of what it is to be. I mean, think of Shylock and the Merchant of Venice. What is it to be a Jew, to be a man who is exacting his pound of flesh? Well, what about him? What is it like to be him? What is it like to be Richard III, to be deformed? Of course, he's evil. But Shakespeare does a great job of of forcing you to sympathize with that villain's point of view. I would even argue that that Silence of the Lambs is the, one of the great movies because for whatever reason, at the end, we are rooting for a man who eats people. What? And I think that a great journalist... Um, you know, a great thinker should do that, should present us with that fair and balanced uh, outlook. And it's very difficult to do. I, don't, I can't do it, I'm sure. But, but that's important. That is important to do because it's true that finance, campaign finance reform, that our government probably doesn't rep- represent us. Has it ever been any different has it ever been any different? I mean, the founding fathers created a republic that was, it's, a, it's the longest running democracy in our history, but you couldn't vote unless you were a landowner and unless you were white. Things have changed a little bit. So, you know, there we have it. And I have to say this, let me say this very quickly, because I want to I I jump on my own liabilities and my own prejudices and my own uh, biases and how wrong I've been. I had, I, I was, this, this Me Too movement at first caused a visceral reaction in me. I thought to myself, well, you know, Netflix and all these companies are trying to make the world more fair and, and I would use things like equality of outcome is, is, is not the same as equality of opportunity and this is bullshit, these quotas and and now men can't do anything. And I was, I was joining that chorus a little bit. But you know what? I think I was wrong. I'm not saying this for fucking brownie points. I'm not saying this because I want anybody to think of me as a progressive woke dude. I'm not. But what I'm saying is that I was watching Entourage, old episodes. Holy fuck was Hollywood a straight white male's haven. Oh my God, was it hard to be a woman. Oh, my God, was it impossible to be a hot woman and not get constantly harassed, not have to sleep your way to the top? I'm sorry. It was. Watch the show. And I watched it and didn't even think of that shit. It didn't dawn on me that as a woman, you didn't have a whisper network. Men, when you hired a hot woman and you were, and you were a woman who didn't, who, who rejected some powerful man's advances, 
or even when you went on a job interview and the guy tried to pick you up after the interview. You had no recourse. If you said no, you didn't get the job, man. If you were, if you ever, ever confronted a powerful man and said, I'm, I don't, you're making me feel uncomfortable, motherfucker. This is, I don't want to do this. You know, I don't want to laugh this off. I don't like this. If you, God forbid, made a complaint to SAG, no problem. You could. Good luck getting a job after that because you couldn't because men ran the business. That's changed. And I hate to say this, but I, I didn't know that that was the world that women and other people were living in. It didn't dawn on me. It didn't dawn on me that, I mean, a little bit had dawned on me, but it didn't dawn on me that there weren't a lot of stories written by women for women, written by, you know, black women for black women. I didn't know that. It didn't dawn on me, man. It didn't, that's not, not, it didn't affect me, you know? I do this joke. I do this joke in Complicated Apes where I say, you know, equality, I guess, is the thing. Although as a white landowner, I don't see it, you know. There you go. And, and, and so, so God damn it. I'm, I'm, again, you know, I don't like saying this about myself. It's embarrassing and it's, it's a bummer that I'm that fucking, that I'm that blind. But I guess we all are. So I, so I'd make a shitty journalist, I guess is what I'm saying, because I suffer from <laughs> I suffer from confirmation bias and maybe worse than anybody else that I criticize. God damn it. I had a moment of of empathy recently. I was uh, reading. Well, I'll start it by this. I was reading a book on writing uh, by Annie Lamont called Bird by Bird. Read it. You read Bird. Great book. And she talks about how to be a good storyteller, you need to have empathy for both sides. You can't just see a police officer as the authority. You need to see what's behind those eyes to be able to truly tell that story. And the other day I was out surfing and, uh, you know, here in Santa Cruz, it's been my uh, kind of more to sanity through quarantine is still being able to surf. And they just uh, banned it two days ago. So I was going out for my last session and there was a big uh, police vehicle and they were putting up all of the signs and the red tape. And I was looking at this fucking guy like, Oh, you know, that, that that's when the, the government has become totalitarian. I agree. When they take surfing away from me. I have a problem. With and, uh, and the cop looked at me and he said, um, Hey man, I really like your podcast. I love the last one you did with that pro surfer. Whoa, that's awesome. And then all of a sudden you're just like, oh, I like think... this guy. <laughs> yeah, thing. yeah. It's like, oh, give it five stars on iTunes, please. He's doing his job, man. He's doing his job. He's doing his job. And um, the, the place that I want to go with you while we're on this thread is how much do you think having empathy for other people in order to tell that story requires having empathy for yourself? Well, that's a great question, Kyle. I, maybe they're maybe they're one and the same. You know, maybe they're one and the same. I, 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 I just, I need to like myself a little more. I need to give myself a break, man, because I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't like myself very much. You know, I was, I'm writing this thing about how uh, I, I'm, I'm, I don't know how religious I am, but I am afraid I'm going to get to heaven and God's going to be like, I put you on the earth for this and you spent that much time in restaurants and talking about yourself. Like the fuck were you doing? You know, it's like, yeah, but I got to sleep. I got to eat. I got to fuck. And, and then I got to, I got to bullshit with my friends because I get lonely. 
And then I got to work on my jujitsu and my boxing in case I get into a situation, which will never happen. And then I got to, I got to go practice shooting. Maybe even, you know, you never know. I got to, I got to work my tactical shotgun skills. I don't know. I mean, I got to get ready. I got to prep. By that time I'm ready to actually do some work and change the world. But then guy comes in and goes, you got termites. I'm like, Oh God, I got to take care of that too. So there's no time to do anything worthwhile, dude. I just got to, I got to do other shit just to maintain my equilibrium, my physical equilibrium and the temperature of my body. It requires a certain amount of food, it requires a certain amount of sleep and emotional uh, bleeding, if you will. It's very frustrating. So maybe I should, maybe I should just stop trying to be historically significant, which is never going to happen anyway, and just keep being a silly goose and make people laugh. That's what I'm good at. You know, not trying so hard. Fucking don't try. Fucking don't try. Charles Bukowski. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that you're uh, at your best when you like yourself more? I had a, an acting teacher look at me one time when I was a young man, and he said, you got a self-esteem problem. And a guy up in the, a, a well-known actor um, in the upper row said, thank God. Everybody looked at him and he goes, well, it wouldn't be funny if he liked himself. <laughs> I never forgot that. So, no, no, I don't know that uh, liking yourself is such a virtue. I think in a lot of ways you should always be compensating. You should always be um, aware of your own, your own profound inadequacy. Mm. But is there a difference between not being the biggest fan of yourself so that you can have a self-critic and self-loathing? Yeah, I don't have self-loathing. I think self-loathing isn't helpful because self-loathing can be paralyzing. You got to believe in your potential. What I, what I, what I, what I, I like myself probably, but um, to an extent. But um, I don't like looking at myself, and I keep looking at my eyes. But um, but I, but I, I, I don't, I don't. It's it's not about liking myself. Um, I, I do, I do believe in my potential. I like the idea of realizing my potential. There's nothing I enjoy more, nothing I enjoy more than than sitting down and surprising myself with sort of bits that I write, comedy bits that I know are going to surprise other people. Because if they surprise me, I know they're going to surprise the audience. That is tremendously satisfying. That's a form of meditation. Because what happens is you start to really get a sense of who you are and what you think about it. You know, what you think about, what, what, what matters to you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's the closest to God that I believe. <laughs> like, where, where do good ideas come from? We think about this a lot, and a lot of times it's the empty space between, you know, when you're meditating, when you leave room for boredom, there's something beneath the boredom that comes, but it comes from somewhere, and it's a, you're just a pipeline right pipeline from that idea and uh in that way it can kind of take the ego out of it because it's not really you that's doing it yeah because your subconscious is so powerful you know you you this is like thing where you know they say you you know you already know the answer the rest is denial you know there's that great saying that a guy named milton gonzalez used to say he'd say um it takes five minutes to fall in love the rest is denial and people get divorced after 20 years over what they knew about the person in the first five minutes. True. Fucking true. Yeah. But hey, we're not very good. We're not very good journalists in relationships. 
<laughs> fuck no fuck no don't even ask me about relationships i don't know how to do that i have uh, no advice i went and uh had a chance to see you at Cobbs uh a few months back and you were doing two sets two one hour sets back to back and in the back room you then did a um there were, there were a few things that I noticed you do between the first set and the second set. And I want to talk about that time backstage because there was a bit where you were just like super high energy and keeping that going. And then before you went on your next set, you put headphones in and it looks like you were meditating. Um, and I wanted to, it's kind of a point in between that I've never really heard in comedy, but what is that point like in between two hour long sets? I, well, I was probably listening to music um, because I try to I try to actually uh, erase my mind. I don't. I just try to conserve my energy and and you know see what happens. The first thing I what I say before I get on stage is always I don't know. That's all I do. I go I don't know. You know I don't go in there with a plan. I just go I don't know, and then I see what's given to me. I I, I look at the room. And it's a different room and this temperature is different and there are different people and there's a different energy. It's when you've been doing it as long as I have, you can, you can feel energy. You can, you can sense if there's too much male energy, too much female energy, you can sense the imbalances in a room right away. I can tell just by the sound, there's a sound in a room always, right? And I can tell, um, I can also glance at a room and tell you how hard they're going to laugh, how drunk they are. And, um, and what their socioeconomic background is. I don't want a lot of rich, uh, I don't want a lot of rich, older white people. That's always, uh, they, they're, they're holding on too tight to what they already believe and because it's worked for them. So they're, they're not interested in, in really letting go. If I've got a bunch of like middle-class to blue-collar ethnic people, you know, and then, you know, with just young people who are just drinking and having fun, I'm going to set that room on fire. And that 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 creates a different language and different movement in my body. And do you think that they laugh harder because the system hasn't worked for them and you're pointing out that failure? They have less to hold on to. They, they, they're, they're looking toward the future. They've already been through a lot of shit. They're not as, they're not, they're not as afraid. They're not as afraid. You know, when you have friends that smoke, are overweight, and work with their hands, when you've got friends that have been, you know, in in the war, this is different. This is like everybody's off. Everybody's fucking living paycheck to paycheck anyway. Nobody's in it together. What the fuck? Let's get drunk, dude. I don't know. What do you mean the answers? What? Do I, write? I don't have time to read, dude. I got two kids, three kids, four kids. I'm trying to. Make, I'm trying to what? You know. I got time to watch some shitty TV show. There's something about that. There's something about that that just makes them a great audience. They're just there to laugh. Don't bother me with the fucking, what? All right. Yeah, I own yeah. guns. How do I feel about gun control? I don't know, dude. Make me laugh. Yeah. You understand? Yeah, I do. This, I, I yeah. do, but there's a, there's a conflict that I notice with you where you're still trying to educate people about things that are important to you, but you're keenly aware of when you become pedantic and when you're just like trying to impress people with your erudite knowledge and when you need to reel it back in. So it's like this constant dance with you where like you almost slip into earnestness 
And then you pull it right back into the I don't know, or you flip it around, which is a powerful place to come from. Yeah, because people don't want to be people don't want to be preached to, even if you're older like me. They don't want to hear that because because I don't have I, I swear to God, I mean this. I might be older. I might have some education. I do not know more in the in the in the, in the greater aggregate. I, I don't know more than my audience members. I don't I don't know more than a Mexican uh, immigrant, uh, an American Mexican-American kid who um, is 33 with four kids in Albuquerque who works as a mechanic. I may have a better education in terms of I can talk about the origins of World War II. It doesn't mean I know more generally about life and how to navigate this dance. It just doesn't. I might know more than someone younger because I've made more mistakes, so I have better pattern recognition. But I don't have a right to sit there and tell them how to live their life. So, so what I do is I key into how I feel emotionally. So when I hear Trump say, let's build a wall, I had a, I had a strange emotional reaction to that. I didn't like it. Why didn't I like it? I don't think illegal immigration is good for our country. I don't. So I, I understand that argument. There's an argument, an intelligent argument that may stop Stop just opening the borders. I don't believe in that. But then how do you criminalize the border and what's the way to do it? And is a wall effective to keep human beings out? I don't know. I didn't know. I don't have the answers. Because, again, that's a very complicated conversation. So is gun control. So is health care. But I do know how I feel emotionally. I have, a, I, have a, I have an emotional, visceral reaction to certain things. And then I don't want people who can't afford cancer medication or pain medication. I don't want a society like that, but I also don't want socialized health care. I don't think Bernie has the answer either. So now where am I? Where am I emotionally? What, how do I navigate this? Well, maybe I can get them to think. I, I think it was Matt Taibbi, in fact, or, who said something really brilliant. He said, um, when it comes to politics, when it comes to my family, I'm a communist. My friends, I'm a socialist. My town, I'm a Democrat. And the world, I'm a Republican. Amen. Amen. You know, it, it, again, that's the truth of how we are. Fuck, it's really hard to be one thing all the time. Other than fair. Other than inconsistent and honest about your inconsistencies, maybe. The one belief that you seem to hold really tightly to is your lack of certainty, which um, I think is a good place. To- it's not very helpful, though, is it? It's not very helpful. <laughs> yeah, at the end of the I mean, day, fuck, you're like, fuck, it, I don't I mean, know. It's pretty, easy to be, it's pretty easy to be uncertain. You know, oh, hey, great, Bri. So you don't know? Cool. You know, but I don't know how else to answer a question sometimes. Well, I think that it's a, a better place to come from than – um, placating your audience, which is really easy to do now that everyone has their own little echo chambers. Even if you have, you know, 10,000 followers on Instagram, it can feel like you have your little army, you know, 10,000 people. If you put them out on a baseball field, that's a fucking lot of people. And you start to get these feedback loops of you saying something and your audience reacting, and then you becoming emboldened by your audience's reaction which whether or not your audience is left or right um, m- makes it very difficult for a kind of centrist voice to emerge because you're constantly being radicalized to one side or the other. Um, and I think that it takes a kind of like stepping back to 
challenge your audience. But I think that the people that do that are the only ones that really deserve audiences. Yeah, but at the same time, you do have to make a stand. You, you do define yourself along the lines on which you are willing to fight. And I mean fight. And so I do have those lines. I, I, I do have certain lines. Um, I am certain about certain things. And I will vote according to those lines. Um, I will speak according to those lines. I don't believe uh, in a centralized, giant, command, top-down authority. I don't believe in a powerful federal government that can make decisions. You know, they're, they're, I, I believe in freedom of speech. The, the, most of the Constitution or all of it is something I am willing to fight for. I think it's a brilliant document. And I think that the minute it is, um, it's why I've, I've never posted anything political. And I was a little extreme and dramatic in my last Instagram post about Mayor Garcetti's sort of, you know, a plea to Angelinos to snitch on each other. No. No, I don't like that. It makes me very uncomfortable. And I took a lot of heat, I'm sure, in the comments. Somebody told me I don't read comments, but I don't give a fuck. Um, I, I don't care. Uh, I'm not there to be liked. That, that, is, some, that is something that I'll, I'll make a stand on. So th- there are lines in which I'm willing to fight if you, are, if you believe, in, if, if you believe that, in, that, that, um, that we shouldn't teach evolution in schools. Um, I have a problem with that. But if you also are militantly atheist and think that all religion and even religious belief is, is, is destructive, I have a problem with that, too, because I, I can make an argument for the marriage between science and faith. I've worked hard to do that. And, and um, so, so it's not that I'm not willing to argue a point. And it's not that I'm, I'm not willing to fight for certain lines that I don't believe can be crossed. One is you know, government overreach. The other is taxes at 75%. I don't believe in confiscation. I don't, and I don't want to, I don't like getting into the conversation of liberal versus conservative. I'd rather say, what percentage of your money are you willing to give to the federal government before it's just too much? Do you think that's the best way to engineer equality or opportunity? I, 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 would, I can make an argument by drawing on history that that is not the case, that that's not the best way to do it. And, and so, so, so a very important to do is rather than attack me as a person, attack my ideas and do it with a better idea. Let's throw our ideas out on that fucking table and see who, who wins. Having said that, having said that, we're not, yeah, having said that, I also know that we need a giant stimulus package or we'd be fucked. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And we need a, a government powerful enough to uh, shut down bat markets from now That's right. on. That's right. But the the issue that I see right now is, is regulatory capture, where corporations have become so powerful that they have captured the regulators, and the regulators are now subservient to corporations, so they're willing to do their bidding instead of the people's bidding. Um, so to me, it's less about how powerful the government is and who they are representing. Um, there was a new bill that was passed in Seattle about a year ago to combat Citizens United, which was a voucher system. So it gave $100 to every citizen 
for them to be able to finance a local electorate. Um, the idea being that you could tr kick and scream and bitch and moan about Citizens United, um, which is a bill that was that came in that allows corporations to spend unlimited amounts of money um, on elections. But that's never going to happen because you have McConnell in power and there's this a system that's working for the people in power. So to combat that, you could create a voucher system that leverages the people's votes. Yeah, that was one of, one of Lessig's uh, suggestions that, uh, yeah, I don't follow it enough. I don't know. Uh, sounds like an interesting idea. Um, and and uh, that, that certainly I, I can certainly understand the. Uh, you know, the value. I can't speak enough to it, too, but I like the idea. And I'm also, I like it even more that McConnell has a problem with it. You know, I'm like, well, what are you afraid of here, pal? You know, again, what are you afraid of? I got you for 15 more minutes, and I wanted to get into the final um, subject here because uh, we both spend a lot of our time podcasting. Um, and you have been kicking down that door for for quite some time. And the podcast that you do most often now is fighter and the kid is, was there a moment when you realized that that podcast was going to work? Um, no, that's all an accident. It was my fourth podcast dry, you know, I think, cause I had done Brian Callen's show, 10 minute podcast. And then well, I, I probably was doing mixed mental arts somewhere in the middle of fighter and the kid. Um, I, I just did Fighter the Kid not to make money, but rather just to see, find a way to get people to come to my standup. You know, I just, I, I just wanted to get, I just wanted to get a fan base so that they could come and see my standup. And it was mostly Joe Rogan. It was like, do a podcast, do a podcast, do a podcast. Then I meet this guy, Brendan Schott, who's funny and a fighter. And I, I love, I want, I've always wanted to be a big, strong fighter and it never happened. And, and so I, I, you know, I had my man crush on Brendan. He had a man crush on me because he wanted to be a comic and I want to be a tough guy. And, and then next thing you know, we're doing this podcast out of my, I think it was my garage and then my uh, house. And then, and then we, and then Brendan's just a really good businessman and turned it into this massive fucking business. So seven years later, you know, we, we have something like 500,000 subscribers on YouTube alone who watch it, never mind listen to it. So it's just been incredible, man. It's been incredible, you know, but I don't know. That's an accident. You again, look, you just keep swinging, keep trying, keep the best thing I've ever heard is you keep trying and keep adjusting your approach until something works. Hmm. And it did. Did you ever expect Joe Rogan's podcast to get so big? No. And he did. He, I mean, you know, I've talked to Joe so many times about that. He's like, it's just weird. It's weird that it's become this massive thing and i said to him i go you're so influential dude and he goes i know i don't know I, I don't i didn't ask for that you know, part of part of what makes joe so popular is he's so authentic he's so authentic he will not lie he just won't he speaks his mind man speaks his mind you know so, has that always been the case since you've known him it's always been the case and it's very important it's very important so don't take any sponsorships you don't believe in don't 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 I don't care how much money they're offering you. You cannot ask your audience to use a product you wouldn't use, for example. And there have been times when we've done that and found out after the fact, and it really made me angry. <clears throat> and I, and, and, you know, we, we were like, we're not doing this. It's, so you have to be authentic. You have to be, you can never screw up on that. You can never screw up on that. You can't lie. Don't lie. Don't lie. You know, no matter what. You know, 
I'm always afraid I'm going to tell a story and then I'm going to tell another, the same story. And I forgot a piece of it or, you know, you do these things, but I'm not, it's, you got to be very careful with that stuff. Yeah. It's almost like your life is this like arrow that you're shooting and the, the, place that you shoot it from like determines this trajectory so like if you if you don't really give a shit about being honest every decision that you make and every course that that arrow takes is going to be tainted uh by that base that's the problem with that's the problem with supplements and all that stuff you know the, the reason that we we i've always believed in on it which is a company that sponsors us be like well supplements and all that no no, no. here's the difference the, I, I use certain supplements that, that I believe in with, with, with on it, but like their protein powder and things, but, but, but forget all that. The owners of the company like Rogan and Aubrey Marcus, they use it. They use their own product only. And, and so that says something to me. And I also know how they test those products. I have to know what I'm selling. I have to know what it is I'm doing. But I've had people come to me and say, hey, you know, we've got this new supplement line. I don't know anything about it, dude. I can't. I'm not. I don't know how you test these things. I don't know who's making it. I don't have time to investigate it. You know, those are the things. Uh, I don't know if I ever told you this, but after you and Hunter had me on your podcast, Kyle Kingsbury from On It reached out to me and flew me out to On It to have me on his show after I was oh, on yours. Awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, I've never met Kyle. I don't know much about He's Kyle. He's a very good dude. Cool. I got yeah. nothing but good things to say about him. Wasn't he a fighter? Yeah. Yeah, he was a fighter. And on one of his last weigh-ins, um, he came in and he stripped down to um, a Speedo that was uh, rainbow-colored and said legalize gay. Oh, he's awesome. He's is he awesome. gay? Is he gay? No, he's not gay. No, he's he's, he's awesome. straight. He's got he's got a great. I wish I was built like that. If I had a body like that, I'd always be in that speedo. And I, mean, I asked yeah. him about it once, and he was just like, "Yeah, fuck all this homophobic shit in the UFC." I had to go make my stance. What a badass! Such that, a badass. That right there. That that I just I love a guy like that. Yeah. I love it because he'll punch you in the face as well. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. If he yeah. wants to take you down, it's gonna happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A guy like that will do whatever the fuck he wants to. You. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that. Thank you, Kyle. You got it. F- final, uh, final story for you. Feel good story, uh, amidst the pandemic. Um, so, you know, when I, I took you surfing, uh, like maybe like six months ago. Right. And we had a, oh, yeah. When I jumped up on the board and those tiny in the foam, Dude, you had a, you had an athletic stance. Great. Low uh, center yeah. of gravity straight to the beach. What a, what a disaster. Yeah. So you, we were talking about, um, travel and you're like, shit, man, you travel quite a bit. You should do some kind of travel series. You should call it check with Kyle. And I was like, fuck, that's a good idea. Maybe I will after the motherfucker awards. So right after the MOFAs, I got invited to take a trip to Morocco and I decided to do a radio lab style podcast. So it was like, you know, most of my shit's just like this is long form, but I, I wanted to do an edited podcast with audio from in the field. So I would go out to bars and I would interview locals about like the do's and don'ts in Morocco, surf centric. So I'd ask people about the waves and the culture. And one guy who I interviewed was a historian. He knew everything there was to know about the history of Morocco. He was like one of had more erudite knowledge than anyone I've ever met. And at the end of the interview, I said, um, wow, you, you're so worldly. Where have been some of your favorite places to travel? 
And he looked at me, he said, hi, I've never been outside of Morocco. I've never had the opportunity. I was like, oh man. So I uploaded the, the podcast and at the end of it, I put a call out to my listeners and said, we should get together and send this dude Ahmed on his first trip abroad. And listeners started emailing me and we raised the money and we're sending this fucking guy on his first trip outside of Morocco. And it was because of the idea that you gave me on the beach. I love it. Yeah. God, you're, hey, Ahmed, you're welcome. Yeah. Where, where, where are you? Where are you sending him? Well, he he had all these great like he was very specific in the podcast that I did with him. He was like, I would like to listen to jazz in America. I would like to see wow. a rhinoceros in South Africa. I would like to stand at the bottom of the pyramids in Egypt. And I was like, damn, dude, we're going to make this happen for you. So, yeah, man, that's crazy. As soon as traveling Fantastic. is back on, um, we're going to make if you that ever, happen. If he's ever in LA, let me know and I'll take him, I'll take him somewhere. Yeah. I'd love to do that for a guy like that. That sounds cool. I asked him, have you ever traveled? And he looked at me and said, I've traveled a lot in my mind. Yeah, God bless. Well, he's got imagination, as do you, my friend. You continue to impress me, young man. I, I think... Uh, I think good things are in store for you. They already are. They already are happening. So thank you for you taking know. the time. I appreciate it. Sure, bro. It's my pleasure. I have 2% on my iPad, so it's perfect. That's our show. If you enjoyed that episode and you want to hear more like it, check out episode number 127 with Simon Rex. That's episode number 127. I'm going to play out the song called The Rain by West of Malbay. These guys listen to the podcast. They sent me some tunes and I will link to their band page in the show notes below. If you're a musician and you want your music played, um, send it in info at kyle.surf i'll link to your band page in the show notes below also i love getting those voice memos from you so you can send those to info at kyle.surf as well just try and keep them under a minute that's it for now um oh i do it i have a newsletter i talk about it sometimes once a week i send a short story to you um i've been flexing my writing muscle quite a bit these days so if you want to get on that journey with me you can head over to kyle.surf sign up for the newsletter that's where you can check out all of my stuff thank you once again to santa cruz medicinals for sponsoring each and every one of these podcasts high five you guys have been with us since the beginning and i am so grateful for your support and for the products that i use every single day that's it for now have a great day and please enjoy this song called The Rain by West of Malbec.
I've seen the rain And I have seen the rain I've seen the rain, rain.